Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So today I have invited Jacqueline on my podcast, and we are going to talk about neurodivergence. Now, I just want to say I am not an expert in neurodivergence, although I have worked with a number of neurodivergent clients in my private practice. We just wanted to have a conversation about neurodivergence, and attachment. So I wanted to talk about a few points of confusion out there around attachment styles and things like highly sensitive people, neurodivergence. Where does this play into attachment style? What does that look like? So I'm just going to start by throwing out a few things that I get asked. Like sometimes people say, Well, I don't have anxiety. I don't feel constant worry, but I have something that's ever present and doesn't leave me. That is a form of anxiety. (laughs) I would classify you under the umbrella of having a tendency towards that anxious side of yourself. If you're somebody who always wants people to like you or struggles and having a sense of individuality, you run anxious. That's that people pleaser. Highly sensitive people, people who have that kind of acute sensitivity to all kinds of things, chances are you probably run more anxious if if you're like that. Or sometimes it can lead more into avoidance. ADHD, Asperger's, which I know we don't say anymore, we kind of classify it under the umbrella of uh, spectrum, right? Autism, borderline personality disorder. All of these are neurodivergent, right? So where do they fit? along the lines of attachment style. And sometimes I'll have clients say, well, you know, I'm neurodivergent. So so what does that mean? Am I actually an insecure attacher? The way I like to look at that is what are your behaviors that are making you more or less disconnected with people? And if we look at like people who are on the spectrum, right, oftentimes we learn from a sense of patterns versus that emotional connectedness. So your behaviors might appear more avoidant, So your work will be to, if you're with somebody who leads more with the emotional center, who's not running on the spectrum in that way, like there is going to be work to form those patterns of connection, right? So your way in might look different, although the behavior, right, might be the same, right? So your felt experience might be different around it because you might come to the table with forming those patterns or not understanding your partner's needs for deeper connection. It might trigger more anxiety in your partner if you're running with those avoidant behaviors, even if that's not how you're processing emotion, right? But we're looking for, again, the goal of secure attachment is to create that sense of safety uh, and security within. So looking at what would make my partner feel safe or what feels safe for me and how do I navigate that together? People on the spectrum oftentimes need a fair amount of alone time in order to process, right? Because there's so much stimuli out in the world. So if that's that's you, come to the table with, I need a certain amount of alone time, right? That having that communication can help your partner stay away from running anxious when there's not necessarily a need, right? So that's gonna be a part of it. ADHD, my personal perspective and what is kind of the newer research we're seeing out there, right? Like these things are a sign of like trauma, whether in this lifetime or other lifetimes, right? And when we're in the throes of um, the moment, the ADHD moment, ADHD moment, where maybe it's hard to focus, hard to concentrate, hard to get grounded, 
what I see in that is the nervous system's also in a space of distress. So knowing that you might be hot, cold, right? Like the high intensity for connection or then the backing away as those of us who have ADHD can sometimes do, right? Hyper-focus or have a hard time focusing. Looking at that as, is the system regulated or dysregulated? And so the more you take those actions to bring yourself into a state of regulation, that brings in the secure attachment. In my experience of working with clients that have ADHD, what I notice just in my experience is that, and I'm not saying this is, this is a broad strokes way of defining people who have ADHD. I'm just saying from my personal experience, what I've noticed is that they, people with ADHD tend to run more avoidant and tend again to be overwhelmed by some of that, some of the closeness and also tend to really look at things from a more intellectual standpoint. Point. Like really try to make sense of what's going on in the relationship. And so Jacqueline, I'm curious, what do you recommend that people who fall under the neurodivergent category do when they are starting a relationship with someone else? So I do. Th- I agree with you, Mary. I think that people who have ADHD tend to run more avoidant, but I'm going to throw this out there. When you're in mm-hmm. the throes of that dysregulation with ADHD, that difficulty focusing or the hyper-focus, right? Uh, the body, the brain is actually in a state of disorganization. So avoidant and also disorganized, right? The push-pull, I want to be focused, but I can't, right? So you have these two competing sides of yourself. And that's what I consider the disorganized side of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so the remedy is this in a understanding that both of those things are happening and B communicating it to your partner. So I work really well when I have a certain amount of downtime, give them a time frame on that. Because again, chances are, if you run a little more avoidant, you're going to be finding partners who run a little more anxious. So in order to help their anxiety, that communication is going to make that anxious person feel safe. So when I come home from work, I like a little downtime. I usually need an hour to myself. And then I would recommend following through with communicating with them afterwards, right? So that we're creating routines, right? Because ADHD focuses really well on consistent pattern, Mm -hmm. right? So I know for my clients who have ADHD, it's like, do not deviate from that once a week appointment at that time. Every time we do mayhem breaks out, I can even take them time to go into, to lean into the pattern, right? Until the brain's like, okay, this is my time every week and I know it's it, right? And so when we compare that to relationships, and I love, like Huberman Lev just said this the other day, and I completely agree with it. That spontaneity is great, but if you really want to feel that sense of relaxation, it actually comes Mm -hmm. Like patterns are what gives our brain, our brains enough space to have that sense of relaxation. That is why when we experience breakup or loss of a loved one, that disruption in the routine of what was bringing our safety, like becomes so heightened. That is part of why it feels so unsafe because we have to relearn life in this new way. Well, I think, I mean, even our brains, you know, the way that they develop, like we end up filling in a lot of the holes when you're talking about these patterns, right? Our brain like kind of fills in a lot of holes in terms of like, 
oh, this is what's going to happen. And this is what I have for breakfast. And this is what I do during the day. And so when there's something like a disruptor, it can feel again, like what you say is like dysregulating. So it's like, wait, this isn't part of the pattern. So, and this is for some, even for people who are neurotypical. So I think I love that you're emphasizing this because I think that this is an important concept to emphasize when we're talking about people who are neuroatypical. Some people consider highly sensitive people neuroatypical or neurodivergent. TBD on that. I just know that some people do consider it that way. And, you know, maybe we all have different neurodivergences. That's why they call it a spectrum. <laughs> exactly. And I know, you know, Mary and I were close to the same age. There's a lot of our generation, let's say 40s and above, who are walking out there with very high functioning levels of spectrum, right? And, and in a way, many brilliant people, I mean, how can you not be brilliant if you're not on the spectrum a little, right? Like it's not a bad or a good thing, but having that understanding of yourself and the ability to communicate that with your partner is going to be huge. Um, to throw out there, ADHD, going back to that, um, oftentimes people who have undiagnosed ADHD uh, get misdiagnosed as addicts, okay? And you do, actually, with ADHD, I know it's like a lower levels of dopamine in the body, so it, you can be chasing that dopamine. And so navigating your time with somebody who has undiagnosed or, let's say, untreated ADHD, you might experience highs and lows. Oh, my gosh, we're together. Everything's amazing. Well, we're apart. It all falls apart. That is how the brain works of someone who has ADHD who's not in treatment for it. If you're on the other side of that, and that feels like you. Your work is going to be to try to find that sense of regularity and stability around dating, right? So see that person every Thursday. Tell them why so that they understand, right, how you operate. This honestly, it's like there's that sometimes I look at attachment style and how much of it really can boil down to our communication alone. Like how much can be cleared up and bring us to that state of security just by communicating how you operate, where you struggle. and what you need. Some of us out there might not know what we need. And the work to becoming a secure attacher is to start learning and building that, looking for what I tried this. This didn't really make me feel better. Okay, now I'm going to try this. And when we look at people we're dating, we're looking for somebody who's compatible in these ways. So you don't want to shy away from conversations like this. This is how you're going to find out whether that person can really work with you or you guys might actually not work that well together, even if you have fun, right? What are the values? You know, there are certain points around people who have like a spectrum, right? Who that routine can bring such a sense of familiarity and safety that can feel really good, right? Also, just having someone's brain work in a different way can be really helpful around you seeing outside of what your, your, your viewpoint is, which might be rigid in some ways. And I think that what's really hard, speaking of rigidity, I think that when, you know, you're a parent of, of a child and you don't, and you were talking about undiagnosed and, and these things, especially in women, don't usually get diagnosed until maybe like their late teens, early 20s, if they're lucky. And so I think that there is so much misattunement for a neurotypical child, right? Because the parents are not understanding what a neurodiverse child needs. And so this really affects their way of really understanding social cues. 
And that can cause, again, a lot of so much emotional dysregulation with the child and also that child developing that sense of, you know, what's wrong with me? How come the world works in such a different way than what than what I'm seeing and experiencing. And so I think that it's really hard, that it's really important for parents to learn to attune to their child. And if they are having a hard time attuning to their child that like, oh, my child's not getting it. I think it's really important to get your child tested. Yeah. One of the things that can be enormously helpful if if we look at for those of you who have children who might be on the spectrum in some way is like learning how like I I, the way I see us is we're all very sensitive beings right and we all need have different needs and different boundaries and I'm thinking of someone in particular who has a child who is autistic very high functioning but has special needs in in within the school system right and her work as a parent is oftentimes it's very hard for her to draw boundaries. And so we can look to our kids to say, oh, well, well my kid put up with that. No, they, they would have a tantrum. That would be very difficult. Our bodies work that same way. If I am somebody, you know, you learn this about me, Mary, like I need a little more versus under communication. And I don't respond as well when there's not as much communication. And so I'll notice you, you know, you'll like send me more texts of just, hey, little ways I'm I'm running five or 10 minutes late. That really helps my brain relax, right? Like that's a specific need that I have. And so if you're somebody who runs more anxious, part of your work is also going to be to communicate to that partner and what your needs are. And that might be hard for you if that people pleaser, that side that's worried, right? That experiences the distress when we feel or sense any kind of distance that might be there, whether it means like maybe this person won't approve of me, maybe they don't like what I have to say. They might think there's something wrong with me, right? All these things usually go along with the anxiously attached part of ourselves is I encourage you to communicate. I like a lot of contact. I love a lot of attention. If it feels like a little attention to you, it's probably not like you can go overboard. That will probably feel really normal to me and good to me. Because the point is with earned secure attachment, security again is having the ability to say, hey, I got my own back no matter what happens. And I generally trust that people can meet my needs. And if they can, I accept their limitations and I know how I'm going to navigate my life. If you struggle in this way, your work in relationships is going to be to learn that, to learn what you need, because chances are you didn't get a good sense of that when you were growing up. If you run more avoidant, it's probably going to feel really strong the opposite way. I don't want to open up to other people's needs because it's too overwhelming to me. Where does that fit in in my life? I don't understand. What if I forget? How how do I go there, right? And we could blame that on, what if I forget? It's almost like codependence, right? When it's really that person sensing it, overwhelm in their brains. If you start to communicate that, you can find new patterns to navigate that. BPD. Something that's coming up, it's a lot lately, right? Because it was a, it's something newer, right? Borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Yes, it's newer, yet that's being thrown around just like narcissism. Yeah. Which for the record, narcissism, if you're dealing with someone who has, sometimes people on the spectrum, they can have narcissistic behavior or neurodivergence, narcissistic behavior, behavior that appears narcissistic. It does mm-hmm. not mean they are a narcissist. Narcissists, also, for the record, have developmental trauma, which 
keeps them in a state of more selfishness, like children are, they're little narcissists, right? It keeps them there because they have a trauma that is unprocessed, that's leaving them in an arrested state of development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you are running anxious and you are dealing with somebody who is in that state, watch for your codependence. Your work is going to be to experience the distress around how you can offer support, but know your boundaries and your needs. The hard part, the challenge in that, that scenario, that dynamic lie, lies in the anxiously attached person is really going to struggle the, around the possibility of the break, the breakup. Where does that leave me, right? Because anxious types are often saying, I'd, I'd rather have this person than be alone. Because the alone, people who run more anxious cannot tell the difference between solitude versus loneliness. It goes straight to loneliness. So I break up. I rather than just feel the solitude or be with that part of me that might feel some loneliness, it's straight to I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone. And it's usually because they didn't get enough co-regulation growing up. So your work oftentimes is to regulate within self, know when you're feeling that sense of too lonely, reach out to others. Around breakups, it's going to be particularly distressing. Know that going in. But again, if you want to get to that place of earned secure attachment, you're going to have to do the dirty work around creating those boundaries, understanding what you need, not just what the other person needs in order for your relationship to be successful. So I have a question. <laughs> yes, but then we have to go back to BPD because we never went through. Okay, well, this doesn't have anything to do with BPD, but it does have to do with ADHD. Okay. So this makes me think about, I'm curious, how, what are your thoughts about, I know that we've addressed this earlier in the podcast. I, I think it's really important in terms of, you know, what I've noticed with some people who have ADHD, like in, in their professional lives, they're completely on top of it. And in their, their personal lives feel a little bit more shaky. And then I see them running avoidant in that shakiness. So I'm just curious, you know, what do you what do you think about people who have ADHD and run avoidant and how to cope with that in their personal relationships? You know, I'm thinking about how it can go both ways, like right, people who have ADHD can be the love bombers, right? Like the hyper focus and needing that closeness. It's all about this person. And then. The other side clicks in, right? The overwhelm, so the need to shut down and back away. Now, on the same side, or the flip side, what you mentioned is someone who's like hyper-focused in their professional life. They're handling things really well and wants to work on relationships, but can't tell the difference between is someone giving me too much attention where this might be a love bombing situation or is this me running avoidant? And this is where, that's actually like where the juice is going to come in for that person, because the work for the avoidant is really going to be to start to sense when they feel that overwhelm and bit by bit, the work has to be slow, right? With, with avoidance, it's like painfully slow because the, the overwhelm like hits so quickly that it's like shut down, shut down, shut down. I don't mm -hmm. want to get out of my face. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't like, I don't mm -hmm. like turn off back away. The, the work will be to notice, oh, I'm overwhelmed right now. Okay, what do I need? How do I need to lay off the gas right now, right? What do I need to do to go regulate myself? 
from that sense state of regulation, you make the choice of how you want to respond, what feels right. Like it's going to be learning that felt sense of this. There's something about yes. this wrong mm-hmm. or there's something about this that feels okay. Like what's the difference between these fears? Does the fear feel like a familiar toxicity in the same of like, I know this cycle. I know where this goes. Or does it feel something new? Like, oh, this person is seeking something within me that I I don't know how to open to that. Or are they over the top with you? Over the top is not vulnerability. Talking about your dream house and how you guys are going to move in together on day two is not vulnerability, right? That's high anxiety seeking a sense of safety. Earned secure attachment comes from having the ability to decipher the difference. So that's going to take practice, right? To understand when I'm in avoidance. And by the way, if you're dating somebody who, and you're running avoidant and they might be love bombing you, right? Coming on too strong where it doesn't feel authentic. That's not a reason to go back into your shell. You can still learn by working with in any, I don't want to say any experience because some really shouldn't be repeating, right? And creating more trauma. We don't want to do that. But there is going to be a learning process to figure out what actually does work for you when the system is saying, no, 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 danger. And there is actually danger here versus when it's just that old memory. And I have gotten asked this before of, well, will all that go away if I'm not having the fear? A secure attachment, remember, is fear intelligent, right? So it's not, you're not just blindly trusting everyone. You have this kind of sense that something might feel off in some way. And if you stick to your boundaries around if you have ADHD and like that kind of routine planning that you need and you tell that person, this is how you operate, based on how they respond to you, you will have your information if that's someone who's maybe just running a little anxious and wants to show up or somebody who can't take in what you're saying and adjust accordingly, right? That's how you're going to be able to decipher a love bomber. Love bombers have a harder ability to take in boundaries and listen to what you need. They're going all in. The gas pedal is on at full force because they cannot tolerate any sense of distance until they get the closeness and then they just crash the car and run away. (laughs) Because that's how terrifying that closeness is. Mm. And I love that. And And what came up for me when you were talking about the anxious person, you know, looking for a sense of safety when you were talking about like, oh, this is the dream house and we're going to move in together. And I, I see myself with you right after date two and how the avoidance like put on the brakes. And, you know, you're talking about like the anxious person wanting to seek the sense of safety. And I can imagine that the avoidant person is feeling that that person is wanting you to fulfill that sense of safety. And when you're avoidant, you're just like, I don't even have that sense of safety. Like, I need to figure that out for myself, right? And so it's like, get away from me because this feels like too much because I'm still working out my own stuff over here. Yeah. The, I have to say with people who run more avoidant, you know, the tricky part is the system becomes overwhelmed really easily. But the way avoidance respond to the overwhelm can be, right? through anger. I don't have time for that. I don't need people like relationships are not for me, like whatever, or apathy as into them, but not really. Like maybe that person said something that was a little more vulnerable and they're like, oh, I just like my feelings for them just went away. 
I slept with them. I was so into them. And after I slept with them, man, sex wasn't good. Yeah, I'm not interested anymore, right? The apathy sets in. And the, because they're fine alone, they don't register distress when they feel that distance. Uh, the numbness can feel better than the pain that's beneath the numbness. So what do we do with that? That first part is going to be in recognizing when the system is in that state of overwhelm, which is actually distress, right? Working with it in little baby steps will build the capacity for you to understand what's actually happening internally. Why would you want to do that? If your goal is to have fulfilling partnerships, you will have to go to the depth that is beneath those survival responses. And that's the same if you're running highly anxious. The survival response of anxiety is also masking the vulnerability that's beneath it. And a part of that is done through partners. And a part of that is done on your own. You developing the ability to be in solitude and knowing, oh, when all of a sudden I'm starting to feel lonely and maybe even being with that brokenhearted, lonely part of yourself, tending to the heart of that person and building in that moment of loneliness, your own security. A part of that will be your work. A part is also the partners, but it is both. Mm. God, there's so much to sift through in all of this. When I'm just thinking about like, is the person a love bomber or do, or do they just like to bring me flowers all the time? You know, it's like, there's just so much to sift through because it's like, we really need to be reborn into this new way of being, right? Into Into developing this new attachment system within ourselves. And so just being able to parse in terms of like what you were saying, is the person a love bomber or are they running anxious or, you know, what are, what do all these behaviors mean? Even just trying to make sense of, you know, your own reactions and responses around other people's behaviors. When, and somebody once said to me, is it attention deficit disorder or is it attachment deficit disorder? It can be one and the same, right? This is where these things get tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, We really want to choose partners who are willing to do the work. And while we all say, I'm willing, I want that, when it comes time to doing the work, the work is very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. So then in the moment we go, no, (laughs) I don't want to do that. Don't sign me up for that. I liked my old feeling better. But we promise you that if you start doing the work, going always into that unfamiliar discomfort. You want to go where you haven't been before in the positive way, not more possible trauma. We don't want to do that, right? We don't want to re-traumatize with toxic familiarity. But if you're willing to grow and, and, and make yourself uncomfortable, the rewards you will get will be far more than what you get before. That's the reward for going through this stuff and looking at that side of what's beneath the numbness, what's beneath my overwhelm, what's, how can I be with this part of myself that's so distressed when my partner needs more distance than I do and, gosh, I want to be close to them, right? If we can get in there, the relationships you have will be very different. Yeah, and I even think that with, when we talk about HSP, highly sensitive people, I look at some of those questionnaires around it and some of those answers. Yeah, I could definitely identify as an HSP, but like, is it HSP or is it my attachment style? Both, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And just to go back to what we, we never addressed. So to end with BPD, if you 
are with someone whom you suspect might have BPD or you see it kind of running in the family, that could be a sign or you feel like you might have BPD. When we're in the throes of episodes of BPD, it's really high fear, right? There's probably most usually there was a lot of trauma in the family of origin that kind of triggered that behavior. So the remedy for the disorganized part of us is to hold the part of us that wants closeness and and wants that closeness, as well as the part of us that says that's really unsafe. I, I don't know how to be in that. So the beauty of somebody who runs a little more disorganized and attachment style is they have that heightened sensitivity, right? When it's on, you're in the love womb. And when it's off, it's horrible, right? You can work with the side that has that heightened sensitivity to understand and learn to be with the side of yourself that feels so much distress and closeness and distance, right? It's not pushing away the side, what, the side. oh, no, no, I shouldn't feel bad for being with someone. I, 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 should, I should just push that away and be with this person. No, that will create a snapback, right? So lurking, looking to find ways of creating those boundaries, different language, looking for the grain of truth in both sides within yourself. The work is going to be learning who you are and what you need and developing your own ability to meet what, you're, what you need, as well as your ability to communicate in a supportive way with your partner so that they can also meet your needs and also be with themselves and you tolerate that distress around when they might need more space. And again, so much of this is around emotional regulation yeah. versus and, and emotional fear. dysregulation. Yeah. And the fear underneath it, right? Yeah. Like that that comes with, right, why are we dysregulated? Deep down, there's this sense of fear, a feeling of lack of safety. And yes, some of it is biological. And this is also the evolution of humanity, really. Yeah. I mean, both nature and nurture. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about working in the field of psychology and being a therapist, because there's always so much more to learn. And speaking of learning, if you're interested about learning more about attachment styles, anything mental health, you can reach out to me on Instagram at Mary B. Therapy or come visit me on my website, marybtherapy.com. And thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.